What's happening, friends? Today is January 8th, 2020. And if you live in America or have been connected to the internet at all and are alive, you probably know that at least here in America, the last two days have been pretty crazy. Some of the, the crazier days in modern American history. And uh, a lot has gone on. And I think that a lot of people were surprised at what happened here a few days ago. Some people maybe not surprised, but I think probably most of us can agree that this, that what we have seen over the last few days, is, it seems to be the, the culmination of all that has led up to what has now taken place over the last several years. And, you know, on, on January 6th, as things were going down, I think for obvious reasons, people were expressing their opinions, still are, putting out what, what they think online. And I think that's good. I think we need dialogue. I think we need to, to continue these conversations and have these hard conversations. I chose not to put anything out on January 6th just because I really wanted to be able to take some time and gather some more information and really gather some thoughts before putting anything out there in terms of my opinion of what's going on and, and where we're going. And that's not inherently right or wrong. It's just the way that I chose to approach it. And then yesterday on the 7th, I tried to record something and I planned on putting it up. But I don't know, there was just something in me that as I kind of watched it back, I, I didn't feel like it totally conveyed what I was hoping to get across. And and so here I am trying to redo this. You know, I don't come into these things with notes or outlines, and I think I will at some point. But at this, at this time, I just frankly don't have the time, and so I'm trying to speak from my heart and convey things that are rattling around in my brain. And this is a tough one to talk about uh, because, at least in my mind, it's a pretty broad conversation. There's a lot of of things that have taken place. There's a lot of things that if I say one thing, there's a yeah, but on the other end, which is justifiable and, and, and probably needs to be talked about. And that's why I would much prefer to do this in a dialogue instead of a monologue, because I think dialogues are, are how we make progress. And monologues are certainly one person's thoughts about a matter. But, but usually like when I watch videos like this and it's a monologue and somebody says something, then in my brain, there's so often a time where I'll say, yeah, but you're maybe not thinking about this or talking about that. And, and probably the person is, but they can't cover everything. And that's why dialogues, I think, are so healthy. So if, if you get done watching this and you think it would be an interesting thing to, to talk about and have a conversation about, maybe just reach out to me and let me know. And we'll see if we can't try and make that happen because I do think it would be productive and I think we need to have more of that. And with that being said, I want to start off by saying... I don't want to come across in this video as trying to say that I have all the, the solutions or prescriptions of how we fix things. I think that my, my goal and my hope in this video is to just throw out some observations of, of what I'm observing and maybe some thoughts of how I think we might be able to move forward. Because as I watched what took place on January 6th, there were a few things that really st stood out to me that really just shouted at me. And the first thing that really shouted at me was, I think there was a little bit of hypocrisy going on because I, as I was flipping through coverages of what was taking place, it's like on the conservative channels that I saw or media outlets, 
I did see, I mean, I want to be fair as I can be. I did see pretty much every single one of them condemning the behavior and condemning what was going on. At the same time, I heard most all of them after the condemnation at some point in their broadcast or their coverage remind people that these were mostly peaceful protests. And I thought, you know, that's pretty much what the other side was saying over the last year that, that you guys were freaking out about. And at the same time, I'd like to be fair in the sense that, I mean, we did have riots that were going on for like a hundred days and, and billions of dollars worth of damage. And, and yet at the same time, the, the folks on that side of that coin were saying these are mostly peaceful protests. And, and so I think that the American people and people in general, the reason they don't trust the media is because the media is just hypocritical. I mean, the real, and, and here's the reality, and I think this is an observation that has to be taken very seriously, is, is you, you got to ask, why does this keep happening? Why is it that both sides of the media tend to be so hypocritical? Both sides of the political aisle tend to be so hypocritical, and it's because, well, fear sells, right? It just does, and they make money. They make the most money by scaring the crap out of people. That's a fact, right? There's a reason when we turn on the news every day, we don't hear all the good things. It's because it sells. And, you know, the Bible says that the root of all kinds of evil is money. And I think in America right now, especially, more than probably any other time in history, money is our God as, as a collective society. Money is the idol. And we are seeing in live time the evil that comes as a result of making money the end-all be-all. And so you look at the stock market and you look at how we are funding retirements and you look at the media and you look at everything and everything is ultimately being driven by, how do I make the next buck? And the people that pay the price with that kind of thinking and that kind of mentality are the people, right? And it's specifically the people who don't have all the money, the, the normal people who are just trying to move forward, trying to survive. And, and I think that it's quite interesting to me because like when, when you watch any protest that's peaceful, I don't care what it's about. There's a cause that some people are, are marching for, that they're standing for. And that cause probably needs to be heard and, and discussed and dialogued about and debated about. And what happens is when, when there are these factions of radicals who, who then take what is most likely a legitimate topic that's important, that matters, and they radicalize it by breaking things and destroying things. What it does, it's like a pattern interrupt, right? In marketing, we have these things called pattern interrupts. That's what that is. So you have this cause that's, that needs to be taken seriously. And then you have this faction that just does something so obtruse, so obnoxious, that it interrupts the whole thing. And that then we can't even focus on the, the real matter at hand because we have to focus on the destruction and the, the, the fear and the anxiety and all the bad things that come from, from the violence. And so what does it do? Instead of us moving forward because we can dialogue and debate about the real issue at hand, we just fight about the craziness taking place as if the craziness taking place is indicative of all the people who were actually there trying to peacefully be heard. And 
I'm sorry, like I see it on both sides of the aisle. And I think most people do. Like most people that I know that I have spoken to, when they saw the Black Lives Matter marches, and I'm not talking about Black Lives Incorporated, I'm talking about people who actually were just saying Black Lives Matter. Pretty much every normal person says, yes, Black Lives do matter. They, they absolutely matter. And there are things in our system that need to be fixed. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we tear the whole house down. It means that we remodel the kitchen or the bathrooms or the whole house maybe, whatever. But it's, but it's the difference between the faction that says we have to tear everything down and the majority that says, no, we just need to progress. We just need to fix what is broken. And now we see the same thing with, with the Trump rally yes, or two days ago, whatever you want to call it, right? The Trump supporters. You have a lot of those people that are saying, hey, we don't feel heard. We do believe in conservatism. We have this worldview. We want to be able to have a debate and a dialogue. And then we have this radical faction that goes completely rogue and crazy, and they start breaking everything. No different than what we saw before. Yes, shorter, shorter lived. I, I get all, and that's what makes these videos so hard. I understand that these other riots went on and on and on and on, and that maybe there wasn't this emphatic outcry from our politicians and our media about the negative part of that. I get all of that. That's what makes this hard. But the point is, is that the, what we saw two days ago can't be justified. I mean, it can't be justified unless people really believe we're at the point of Revolutionary War Part 2. I don't, that's not what I'm here to, to advocate for. I'm not here to advocate for Revolutionary War Part 2, but there are people right now on both sides of the radical aisle who legitimately are advocating, and they're showing it by what they're doing in their communities. They are advocating for Revolutionary War Part 2. And so I keep going back to, well, I don't think that that accurately represents the majority of people in America. And by golly, we need to stand up and make that known. We need to stand up and say, listen, you guys are nuts. And we don't stand for that. And whether you're burning businesses in Portland or Seattle or breaking windows or you're breaking into the Capitol, we don't agree with it. We don't. At least we don't now. I don't think we're at Revolutionary War Part 2. I think we only get to Revolutionary War Part 2 if we can't learn how to talk to each other. It's like little kids before they really know how to use their, their words, as we say as parents, right? Use your words, use your big boy words, your big girl, whatever. When you look at little kids and they don't know how to really communicate with their words yet, what do they do? They fight. When they can't talk it out, when they can't speak about it, they fight each other. And then you see that happen all throughout people's lives. And, and one of the things that I've always had such a problem with with Mr. Donald Trump is, and I say this all the time, if you know me personally, you know, you probably have heard me say it. If you want a better result in any area of your life, become a better communicator, period. That's it. Now, that's not everything in life, but that's, a huge part of it. And why is that? Because humanity is relational. And the problem that I've always had with Donald Trump, the probably the primary, primary problem, is the man is an awful communicator. 
and he's degrading and he's rude and he's mean. And honestly, we would not be in this position right now. I don't believe you might disagree with me. That's fine. I don't believe we would be here right now dealing with what we're dealing with as a country to the degree we are if the man would just communicate better. If he would stop calling people names and stop being rude and obnoxious. I know so many people who are conservative people who will not, would not, will never vote for that guy, that man, because of how he treats people. And I get it. Because when I read, as I've spoken about in previous episodes, about the fruits of the Spirit, most of what comes out of his mouth is not the fruit of the Spirit. It's just not. And I think that, like, I've made it pretty darn clear on these videos and podcasts that I, I'm a more conservative person. I have traditional values. But, but if I want, and if you, if you think that way, if you have that worldview, and if we want to have a seat at the table, if we want to play a part in the future of this country and of our communities, well, we have to be able to look in the mirror when things go sideways, and we have to make adjustments. I think good leadership, I've said this before on these, good leadership is the ability to look in the mirror, to figure out what you suck at, and to get better at it, or to get somebody on your team who's better at it. It's called maturity. And I think right now, what happened two days ago set the conservative movement back. I don't know how far, right? Like, if you look at how the nation as a whole voted, let's say in state houses and in the House of Representatives nationally, you can see that there was a shift back to the, I'll say the, the right middle. I'm not saying right or wrong. I'm saying the right, right? More conservative middle. You saw it. You saw what happened in house races. You saw what happened in state, in state houses and senates in many states, not all states. Because primarily people are getting fed up with the outcomes of unfettered left-wing agendas. And I'm sorry, I try not to do left and right, but the reality is like you come to Olympia, Washington, you come to Seattle, and you see the byproduct of, of the policies, the, the results and the outcomes of the policies. And there are so many people who just say, we have to try something different, this is not working, and so they voted a different way. Now, and, and to back up, I think they voted a different way because they're fed up with what has led us to those outcomes. And now, <laughs> the conservative side has done the same thing. And now you will have people who say, I don't want to be associated with that. I don't want to be a part of that. And I don't blame them, because I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to be associated with that. I think I've spent a lot of time thinking about Martin Luther King Jr. over the last few days. And, and I think that one of the great challenges is for us, especially as people who call ourselves Christians, is walking the fine line between standing up for what we believe and not representing Christ. And for me as a, as, as a person, that's the friction of my life. The friction of my adult life seems to be knowing if I'm on the fence or if I'm on which side of the fence. Because I believe I don't believe that as Christians we aren't supposed to stand up for what we believe. I think that we are supposed to stand up for what we believe. And yet at the same time, I know that Jesus said, 
when your enemy punches you or slaps you, essentially turn the other cheek. When they ask you to go one mile, go two. When they, when they sue you to take your cloak, give it all. I mean, these are mind-boggling things that, that are very difficult on a practical level to wrestle through in terms of, so then how do we respond? How do we respond to situations like this? How do we advocate and how do we get involved in the political realm and all these different things? It's hard. And, and so I think when I look at what is going on and I try and determine and discern, how do I play a part in a solution? How do I play a part in the conversation? How do I, how do I be active without sacrificing any witness that I might have had? And I think, well, Martin Luther King Jr. is a pretty dang good example because he, he had every right to be violent. He had every right to lash back. He had every right to shoot and fight and stab and do all of those things and to lead his people to follow him. And we do have another example of someone who tried it the other way. And yet it was Martin Luther King Jr. It was, it was the movement that was nonviolent, that won the hearts of the people. And that movement was birthed out of following the example of Jesus. Like, listen, you might listen to this and or watch this, and you might not believe in Jesus, and you might not believe in God. And I would just say, I would just ask you, would you take some time to just learn about the man, the God-man Jesus? Would you just read his stories, read what he said? Just go to the four chapters in a Bible and read the red words. Because one of the things that, as I've tried to process through all that's taking place, is, is I step back and I think, I mean, what is there to not like about Jesus? If you read the words in the Bible about him and you, you read what he spoke about, what is there not to like? If the world lived like Jesus, if Christians lived like Jesus, the world would be a much better place. That's a fact. And yet, so often, we as folks who call ourselves follower of Christ don't live like Christ. I mean, listen, if you're not a Christian and you're watching this, you know that. And if you're a Christian and you're watching this, you know that. And that is the great challenge of our individual lives, is to be transformed on a daily basis and renewed on a daily basis so that we can actually go out in the world and live the way that Jesus did. It's a challenge. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. But when I look at where we are, and I look at how we move forward, I, I don't think that the answer is violence. I don't think that the answer is violence if you're on the left, and I don't think that the answer is violence if you're on the right. And one of the issues, going back to Donald Trump and his, in my opinion, lack of communication skills, is if you take a leader like Martin Luther King Jr., and you compare him to a leader like Donald Trump, and you look at the outcomes. Some would say that Donald Trump has had some great outcomes. Listen, I think that there are things that he did that were good, that were productive, that were beneficial. But, but now we look at the culmination of his movement, at least as I observe it from two days ago. And I go, you know, it's not a very good culmination. Part of it's not a very good culmination because the communication skills and the ability to lead were lacking. I mean, that's my opinion. Being a good leader isn't just getting a bunch of people to follow you. 
Unfortunately, that's what we think about in America today. We think that a celebrity is a good leader because people follow them or, a, or an athlete or a politician. It's like, no, good leadership is proven by the outcomes of what they advocated for. And I look at Martin Luther King Jr. and I go, man, this, this, this man led millions, like millions of people through streets. And he changed America. And he did it without violence. And he did it without inciting violence. And he did it actually by pe telling people not to be violent. And then he paid the ultimate price because of it. Just like Jesus paid the ultimate price by preaching many of the same messages. Was Martin Luther King a perfect man with perfect messages? No. But did he do a lot of good for a lot of people? Yes. And how did he do it? Seems to me like he did it through knowing how to communicate and knowing how to lead people and knowing that violence isn't the answer and that inciting anger is not the answer. He did it by, by calling on the reality of faith in a higher power. And I know some people don't think that's a reality, and I, I, I understand that. We can have a conversation about that, and, and that's fine. But when I look at, okay, but look at the results. Like, listen, I keep saying this in America. If we want to have a different outcome, we have to do different things. We just keep doing the same things, whether you're on the left or you're on the right. And then all the people in the middle, all the normal folks who are reasonable, who live in the neighborhood next to you or the house next to you in your neighborhood, we pay the price. And I'm telling you, like, is there hope for America? That's the title of this, this message. And I think there is hope for America. But I think if we want America to even resemble the United States, which is what we're called, then we need the people in the middle to stand up. And we need them to do it peace, peaceably. Like, I keep thinking, what if, what if all of us who are peaceful got into the streets? And what if we didn't march for anything left or right, but what if we just marched for the United States of America? What if we marched not for what America isn't, or where America has failed. But what if we marched for the vision of America? What's the vision of America? It's freedom, liberty, and justice for all. It's the pursuit of happiness. What if we marched for that? Because listen, if we can't find, if we cannot figure out as a country what unites us, we will fall. And we are in a free fall. And the, and the way that we get out of the free fall is to become united. And we the only way we become united is to find something that unites us. So listen, I will say this. If we, do, if we as a country do not and cannot agree that freedom, liberty, and justice for all should unite us, then we're done as a country. We'll have a divorce, hopefully not a civil conflict. But, but we are getting very close. There are, like if you look at Oklahoma or Tennessee or maybe South Dakota or Idaho, and then you look at New York and California and Washington and, and Western Oregon, there is not much that those folks think that they have in common anymore. And I think part of that is because the media is getting rich off of making sure that we don't think that we have anything in common. When in reality, I think most of us, if we were to get in a room, the majority of us have a lot in common. And if we don't stand up and unite to create a United States of America, then those states and those states will divorce from each other. That's what will happen. I don't think it has to happen. I don't think it's good for that to happen. Listen, a divided 
a divorced United States of America gives places like China and Russia a pretty interesting advantage in terms of pushing their agenda throughout this world. I don't think that we want America to look like China. I don't think we want America to look like Russia. And part of the problem is we've become spoiled rotten. We, we don't realize how good we have it. And so I think when I look at what happened two days ago, and when I look at where do we go from here, as Donald Miller says, we have to decide which story we want to believe about America. Because in the beginning, and for the longest time, the story that we believed about America was that we were heroes. We were heroes. And then we were guides for other places. We, we were a hero that, that freed itself from tyranny in the beginning. And then we believed that we went out and helped free other countries from tyranny. And now the story we believe is that we were the villain, and we are the villain, and that we are the victim. We're the villain because, no, we didn't free people. We didn't give them liberty. We oppressed them. We took advantage of them. And that the majority of people in this country are victims because they've been oppressed. And listen, yeah, there's truths to those things. There are. There are times that America has done horrible things. But we, as the next generation, have to decide which story do we want to write moving forward. Do we want to write the story of the hero and the guide or the victim and the villain? Because I will promise that if we write the story of the victim and the villain, we are over. America will fail. But if instead we say, listen, we have not done everything right, but there is a vision for this country that we believe in, that we can work together to accomplish and achieve, then we can start to take back what radicals have taken away. Because I'm telling you, when I go through my little town, and when I talk to people that I know, yeah, there are some that really believe that America is horrible and awful and should pay for this or that. But most people that I know are grateful that they live in America. They want to be part of an America that learns from its mistakes and grows and matures. I keep saying, like, maturity is a good thing. Why are we treating maturity like it's so bad? And to think that, oh, well, you know, if we lived 200 years ago, we would somehow be different than the culture 200 years ago, I think is very arrogant. I think that part of Christianity is like the ability to, to humble ourselves. I mean, I look at myself every day and I say, thank God I didn't live 200 years ago because I don't know. I don't have the, I don't have the confidence to say that, you know, I would have had some great wisdom and enlightenment, and I would have done this or that that was completely counterculture. I don't know. I think that what history proves is that most people don't do that, won't do that, and will never do that. Most people will fit into culture, and we're seeing it today. And so we have to step back and we have to say, how do we get outside of the, the mainstream narrative on both sides? How do we march together? To, to fix what has been broken. And I guess this is where, from a faith perspective, I keep going back to, we can't feel responsible for controlling the outcome. Because the outcome is up to God. I was reading the book of Daniel on, on the 7th, the morning of the 7th, after 
the, the situation took place in D.C. And I think it's in the second chapter, and, and Daniel writes like a poem, basically. In, in the beginning of the poem, in the beginning of the poem, he says, for God appoints the kings, something like that. And I just couldn't help but think, as so many of us are frustrated or anxious or worried about this politician or that or who's been elected or who hasn't and what they're going to go f- try and accomplish and all these things. And the Bible over and over makes it clear that like God appoints the leaders. And so our role and our job is not to fret and freak out about and stress out about who the leaders are. Instead, our, our job is to advocate, at least in my mind, we, we live in a free country. We have the duty and the responsibility to advocate for people who represent us and how we believe and how we think. And then outside of that, we have to have faith that God is in control and that God has put the people in, in place to let his plan come to fruition. And we can be people that at all costs and at every turn don't like that and we want to fight for our own way. There's a story in the Bible about when the Israelites did that. All the other places around them had kings. And God said, I'm your king. And they said, no, we want our own king. And then they demanded their own king and demanded their own king and demanded their own king. And then finally God said, fine, I'll give you your own king. Didn't work out so well. They replaced their real king with the false king. <clears throat> Excuse me. With a king that was less than better. Well, that's not the right way to say it. With a king that wasn't as good as the king they had. And today, I think the danger is for those of us who follow Christ to pound our fist on the table and say, we want our way. We want our king. And God's saying, I'm your king. Trust me. And in order to trust him as Christians, we cannot be violent. We can't be storming the Capitol, breaking windows, burning buildings. That's not Christianity. That's not our role. Instead, our role is to be the light and the hope of the world. There's two churches in the book of Revelation that that Jesus had nothing bad to say about. And one of them was the persecuted church. And if you look at the church throughout history, the church mostly thrives when it's being persecuted. And it seems to me that that may be where we're heading. And the question will be, how will we walk in the midst of persecution? Will we walk as the light of the world? The Bible says that the church and the Holy Spirit are the entities that hold evil at bay. (laughs) And at least in in my mind, as I look at where are we going and, and where have we been as a country and where has Christianity been in America, we are going into uncharted waters where people who want to proclaim the truth of Christianity may well have to do it knowing that there's going to be a cost. And the question will be, and the question is, can we do it in a way that brings glory and honor to to the name of Christ? Jesus went to be crucified and pretty much didn't say anything. He pretty much didn't defend himself. That's hard. That's like even saying that's hard for me because I want to fight back. I want to get riled up and aggressive. And yet I know that, and even in this country, as I stated with Martin Luther King Jr., I think that we have a case study 
that shows that when we do turn the other cheek, that when we do stand up for what we believe and we do it peaceably, we have a pretty good chance. But so far, all the rioting, all the destruction has really done nothing to make America a better place. It has done everything to divide America. And I think that we, especially people who call ourselves conservatives, like, listen, I can't control, we can't control what people who aren't conservatives do. They have to be able to look in their own mirror and hopefully have these kinds of conversations and hopefully make these kinds of decisions and take different action to get different results. And we, as people who call ourselves conservative, need to do the same thing. If we want to be leaders, I've said this multiple times, if we want to be leaders that God can use to change a culture and change a nation, then we need to be leaders who have love and joy and peace and hope and gentleness and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. Not leaders who are degrading and demeaning and aggressive and rude and obnoxious and whiny. That's not how we win. We might build a following, and that following might lead to a revolutionary war. We kind of saw that two days ago. I don't think that's what most of us want. It's not. What most of us want is to be able to sit down with our neighbor, to sit down with the other people in our community and say, listen, there's lots of things we might not agree on, but there's a lot of things we do agree on. And if we do not unite, we will fall. A divided house, a divided nation cannot stand. Folks, so I would just say as I try and wrap this up, <laughs> I, I want to talk about more things than politics. I don't think politics is one of the five pillars of life. However, given the circumstances of where we're at and what we are experiencing and what we are going through, politics is and will be impacting our lives to a very great de degree. And I think of politics in those five pillars that I've talked about in the past under the, the realm of relationships. Because what is ultimately politics? It's our ability through relationships to come together to create laws and, and systems that create, hopefully, a civilized society. That's relational. Listen, if we want to have people who are good at creating good laws and moving societies forward, we have to have people who can be relational, who know how to communicate. Those are the kinds of people we need to put in office. Those are the kinds of people we need to get behind on both sides of the aisle. Instead, what we have been doing is we have been putting people in positions of power who are everything but that. They're loud. They're obnoxious. They're full of ideology and rhetoric, and they know just the right thing to say to get everyone riled up and upset. How's that working out for us? Instead, we need people who are willing to listen, who are thoughtful, who are patient, who are willing to compromise. And I'm not saying compromise on those core things that, that maybe you don't feel you have the ability to compromise on, which is what makes this, this thing that we're doing in politics in America so difficult, especially today. But we don't win people over. Like the Bible says, 
that it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. And I think there are many of us in America who grew up in a way where it wasn't the goodness of God that led men to repentance, but the judgment of God that scared people into repentance. And the outcome of, of that has many downsides. But to realize that it's the goodness of God and hopefully the goodness of his people that will shine light on the truth, that will turn the hearts and the minds of men and women to do things, to try things a different way. I don't think screaming and fighting and shouting is going to get anybody to, to jump onto our side. Honestly, I think that just allowing the negative outcomes of stupid policy to do, to like the Bible says, you will, you reap what you sow. And in these certain places that have been reaping stupid policies, they are sowing horrible results. We could go out and literally say nothing. I'm not saying that's what we should do. But at some point, the reaping of what has been sown will be so bad and is being, like, look at California. People are leaving in droves. People are leaving Washington. People are leaving Western Oregon. People are leaving New York City. Why? Because what has been sown is being reaped. And it's not good. And people are waking up. And now, again, we have to move forward. We have to say, listen, let's try something different. Let's listen to each other. Let's have a conversation. Let's be civil. And if we're going to do that, we need leaders who advocate for that. Not leaders who are riling people up, getting people pissed off at each other. And so that's my take on what has transpired over the last few days. And again, I'm not going to listen to this back and then decide to do it again because I know there will be things that I missed. I know that there will be things that are incomplete. I know that there will be things that probably have a different perspective. And again, if you watch this and you think, well, Zach, I think you're off base and I'd like to talk to you about it. And I'd like to have a dialogue and maybe a small debate about some of those things. Just let me know. Send me a private message or an email because I think that's something that we should explore. Because, yeah, there are definitely going to be things that I missed and definitely going to be things that maybe were conveyed not exactly the way that I would want them to be. When you're doing this without a script, right, there, there are always things that when you go back and watch it again or listen to it again, you're like, eh, maybe that was a little off. And I'm sure there will be in this, in this instance. But folks, do we have hope for America? I sure think we do. Is there hope for America? I sure think so. But I think that this is my personal belief. I think that the real hope for America, in light of everything that I just said, is putting our faith in Jesus. It's putting our faith in the God who created all of what we see and surrendering our will and, and the way we want to do things and the way that seems right to a man and to a woman. I think it, we have to surrender all that to the way he says to do things. And that's a really hard thing for people to do today, for especially societies to do. And again, we're just reaping what we've sown. But I think that the hope for America is for Christian people. Like there's a lot of people in America that call themselves Christians. A lot of us say that we are Christians. I think we can bring hope to America if collectively we really start living like Christians. 
right? If collectively we stop making justifications for living unchristian. And I think in order for us to do that, we have to come together. We have to have community. We have to have unity. I mean, the church is as fractured as America is, maybe more. And guess what? We're reaping what we've sown. We don't look any different than America. And then, and then we wonder why nobody wants what we have. We wonder why there's no power in our message. And it's because we're divided. We're not in community. And then, and then we're told we can't be in community and that the only community we can have is through the internet because of COVID or this or that. And I think at some point, if we really want to make a difference, if we really want to be the hope and the light of the world, if we really want to see revival and an awakening, we have to actually be collectively and individually who we say we are. And I'm talking to myself as much as I am to anybody else. But I think that the only way that that happens is if we do it together. I go back to the analogy I used in my last video, my last podcast, however you're listening to this or watching this. And it's like being on that team with that horrible coach. And, and the one or the two players are like, man, we just, if we just stood up, we'd have all the power. But we never stand up. And I think it's the same thing for us in the church. There are, there are the, the one-offs who are standing there and they're saying, listen, we just got to come together. We got to leave some of these sidebar issues on the side. And we got to unite around the core of the message, the core of what we believe. Because when we're united, we're powerful. Just like what I said about America is the same thing about the church. We have to come together and say, do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that he came to die for our sins? Do you believe that he rose from the grave? Do you believe that if you put your faith and you surrender your life in him, that you will have everlasting life. Yes? Great. Then we're brothers. We're sisters. We can fight about baptism. We can fight about the rapture and end times and all that some other day. Because that's not really the main point of the message. Is it important? Absolutely. But it's just like politics. We can fight about taxes and all these other things. Like, honestly, I think we could march in the streets tomorrow in the millions. The normal people in the middle, in the millions tomorrow for a few things that we all have in common. Those things, freedom, liberty, justice, equal treatment under the law, same laws for everybody, fighting for the little guy. I think we can all march for that tomorrow and we can fight about tax rates and we can fight about labor unions and all these other things another day because there won't be another day if we can't unite around the core. And I think most of us want to. So anyways, I've gone long enough here. Um, we'll see what happens. I do believe that there is a movement taking place. I do. I, I hear it and I see it and I think that people are waking up and people are starting to say, hey, this has gone far enough. We have to come together. And so, as I stated last time around, you know, Start to have those conversations. Make your own videos. Make your own podcasts. Share things if you don't want to. Have conversations. Just do what's right in front of you. Take it one person at a time. Don't worry about, how do I change the world? Worry about, how do I take part in my own community, in my own family, in my own neighborhood to change the outcomes there? And if enough of us do that collectively, the world will change. America will change. And it changes one person at a time. Don't believe the lie that you have to impact millions. 
Just impact the person right in front of you, right next to you, right now, and tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. And if God wants to give you a platform, he will. But the platform's not up to you. The platform that you have right now is whoever's right next to you and right in front of you, of you today. So if you like the video, please share it. That's how it gets out there. Please like it, give it the thumbs up, leave a comment, uh, send me a message if you would be interested in maybe hopping on here with me and, and having a dialogue. I think that that would be beneficial for everybody. And just so you know, like the censorship thing is real. I mean, I tried to, I tried to post a, a boost a post on Facebook a few weeks ago and, you know, you read the guidelines and they don't want you really talking about politics and it seems like they don't really want you to talk about religion and, and all these things. And so I tried to boost a post just to try and get the message out there and, and it was rejected and it didn't matter what I did to tweak it. It just wasn't going to get out there. So uh, I guess that is what it is. And I guess that's why people are flocking to other platforms. But one of the things that can't stop messages is at least, well, it can, but it doesn't seem to as often is people sharing it, people liking it, people commenting on it. So anyway, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for sticking around this long if you're still here. Thanks for fighting for what you believe in. And I don't say fighting physically. I, f I mean fighting like having the guts to st say and, and to speak your mind. Let's not forget to do it the way Jesus would. And uh, I'll see you next time. Thanks.